You're listening to What the Dev, the weekly podcast of SD Times. And now, here's Jacob Lukowitz, online and social media editor at SD Times. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the importance of robotics and tech innovation in the post-COVID-19 world. Digital transformation will impact many key sectors, such as telemedicine, and we'll be seeing an upward trend in robotics due to the need for infection prevention and for improving resiliency. With me today, I have Sriram Ramanathan, the Director of Research at Lux Research, to talk about some of the biggest trends in the post-COVID world. This includes infection prevention, remote commerce, improving resiliency, and the macroeconomic impacts and the role of software development in all of this. Welcome to the show, Sriram, and thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me here, Jacob. How are you today? Great. So to start off, what are some of the key areas that you found experienced the most growth and innovation? Sure. And and one of the things we did, as I mentioned, was we looked at those five underlying trends that are driving um, um, uh, digital transformation now and speeding up digital transformation. And then we eventually applied these to different sectors. And one of the sectors that is seeing a huge bump as a result of all this COVID-19, as you might expect, is healthcare. Uh, within healthcare, uh, and again, I can elaborate on this a little bit more if you want, but you know, things like telehealth, wearables, uh, and so on and so forth are seeing a huge bump here. Any specific area you want me to focus on, Jacob? Are machine learning models, are they capable of handling the tasks that we need now, or does it need to advance before we can have that happen? You, you, ask, uh, you ask the perfect question out here. Uh, so I think it really depends on what you're measuring. So if you think about something as simple as, an infrared thermometer to measure the temperature of a person and then feeding into a machine learning algorithm. Yes, sure. It can figure out if somebody has a fever or not. But some of these other technologies I'm talking about, such as like measuring the cough of a person or measuring the pulse rate of a person, the jury is out there, frankly. It's not very clear whether these machine learning models are accurate. It's not even clear if just measuring one or two metrics is sufficient uh, in the sense of is it enough to measure the, uh, the the cough, or do I also need to look at the fever and the pulse rate at the same time, and then triangulate all that information together uh, to extract more insight out of it? That being said, uh, every day, every hour, every minute, machine learning models are becoming better and better. They're becoming better in terms of being able to triangulate remote signals, alternate kinds of data sets to arrive at these new kinds of insights. So we do think there's a good future but as of today, we don't think the technology is there as yet in terms of like full, full-blown market traction and perfect performance. So what, what are some of the ways that companies should be looking at diversifying and strengthening supply chains? Sure. I think uh, one, of the, one of the challenges, that, and as you, you, as you might have seen, one of the big challenges of supply chain was, uh, you know, all the traditional supply chains that has been set up, the global supply chains, started breaking down in this in, in, in this whole aftermath of COVID. Right, things shut down. Uh, not only in terms of you know getting getting supplies or or, or or basic raw materials for companies, but even people had to shift where how they were selling their products, who they were selling their products to, and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, despite all these um, uh, developments in software that has happened in the past few decades. Supply chains, frankly, especially in the traditional manufacturing sector, are in the Stone Ages. Like I, to give you an example from my own personal life, I used to work in a company in the past, and I used to sit next to a supply chain manager. Uh, this was a few years ago when you know we had we had you know advanced analytics, 
And the person used to draw a straight line in an Excel sheet to kind of predict what the demand is going to be, right? For, and, and, and not on top of that, he was picking up the phone, calling up to track where the packages are and so on and so forth. And I think uh, a lot of the software has come far, be, uh, far ahead of its time. So for example, uh, we have come across a lot of companies that are actually using machine learning to pretty much do demand forecasting. Uh, they don't just do traditional demand forecasting in terms of uh, which markets require products. They also consider things like how long it will take to ship these products. In some situations, companies or these startups are even taking into consideration, hey, there's a weather problem in a particular situation or roads are blocked in a specific situation or there's a political situation uh, issue in some particular geographic region and they tend to reconfigure those supply chains um, um, almost in real time. So all those technologies are coming out and I think those technologies are going to see a huge bump as we go forward. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of sensor technologies that are also coming up that are making it easier and easier to track where your packages are. It's not that these sensor technologies are new. They have been around for a while, but it's just that communication has gotten a lot better. Uh, sensor prices have fallen down significantly so that you can pretty much track things in real time. Uh, moving beyond these sensors that are sitting on packages What's interesting is we just wrote about satellite imaging. Satellite imaging technologies are becoming so good that you could essentially read off the license plate of a, a plate of a truck uh, from the sky and 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 track like where my package is in pretty much real time. Again, nobody's using these as much as they should, but there is a huge potential for them to be being uh, to be used. The graph in the research uh, showed a very strong and long-term positive impact on improving resiliency. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So resiliency, uh, one of the big issues, like I mentioned, is that supply chains started breaking down. And from a resiliency perspective, you're seeing several changes that are already happening. Like I said, uh, definitely better software, better control towers in order to monitor these supply chains. But we are also seeing that Companies are moving more and more towards localized production uh, in many situations. And uh, I'm going to move away from materials for a minute, actually move towards the energy sector. So if you look at energy right now, we have these behemoth power plants that are located in a centralized location and essentially distributing power to wide swaths of geographies. Uh, What we are seeing is slowly they're becoming more and more of localized and even renewable production. And this is important to note because this has lots of implications for software. Because if you think from a software perspective, you now need software to be able to manage these renewable production. Uh, We can go into the details of like how renewable production, there is like, you know, ups and downs in power production. You need storage for this power and so on and so forth. So you really need to balance the load. So there's a huge need for software. This is on the energy side. Likewise, on the manufacturing side, we have come across these really, uh, I would say these are these are further out in the future, but we have come across these very interesting technologies called factory in a box, for example, where uh, people are essentially setting up these uh, trailer tractor kind of boxes in which you can manufacture whatever chemical, whatever product you want. And so now again, you need that underlying software to be able to manage those orders, route those orders to the right factory in a box, while futuristic, I think there's a lot of potential here, and we are seeing a lot more clients actually asking questions in those directions. So how are you seeing the role of developers shifting now that they're responsible for creating uh, all this new tech? 
Yeah, I think the big challenge here is, uh, and this is, uh, we recently have been working on a report um, on some research on why digital transformation projects are failing. And it was very interesting to know that many of the people, uh, the stakeholders in the traditional manufacturing sectors kept saying, we have a lot of vendors coming to us, but unfortunately, they come from the software, pure software perspective. They come from Silicon Valley, they worked in like large tech companies, and, and there are these whole new set of problems they don't understand when they're actually coming to the manufacturing sector. So it's not just about not understanding what's the use case in oil exploration or what's the use case in chemical manufacturing. That's a totally different story. It's also these basic fundamental issues, such as it's a lot harder to scale up some of these products when it comes to, uh, the, uh, uh, say, the oil field, for example. You might implement something in one particular situation, um, uh, you know, in one particular oil field or in one particular refinery, and then you try to scale up to get scale up up to a different refinery. It's a whole new set of problems. Uh, there are issues with data sets being very small. People don't have enough data sets to uh, within manufacturing again to train these machine learning algorithms. So a lot of these companies are coming from that side. Uh, and I think a big issue is they need to understand that scalability has to be handled differently when you're applying software technologies to these industrial problems. Uh, you also need to think about the problems these companies are facing with regards to dirty data, lack of enough data for training uh, algorithms, and so on and so forth. With the macroeconomic impacts of COVID-19, how are you seeing that this could affect uh, up-and-coming tech startups? Also, what are some of the impacts that it has on how companies are going to implement some of these technologies? Yeah, so budgets have definitely gone to, uh, gotten tighter. We have seen several, we have seen trends that show that people are temporarily actually halted implementing some of, you know, some of their innovation problems. But these are also innovation problems that were very long term in terms of vision. And we believe, we seriously believe it's a temporary halt. Uh, the things that have become very important right now, as you mentioned right in the beginning of this, is infection prevention, remote commerce, resiliency, agility, right? And so if you think about all the technologies that help with this, all those technologies are seeing a huge boost at this point, right? We talked about telehealth when it comes to healthcare. Robotics is a good example where people are testing out more and more robotics, not that they are ready to be fully autonomous at this stage, but People are, you know, showing a lot of interest. They are investing more in that. Uh, we are seeing a lot of interest from clients on augmented reality because they don't want their field personnel sitting there, um, and, you know, getting exposed to COVID. Like they are very worried about their employee health. Uh, natural language processing. Like we had clients who came and asked, like, how about using chatbots and natural language processing to either document what's happening on a daily basis on the field, or to just call an elevator, or to move materials from one place to another. Um, and and so there's a lot of a lot of these new technologies that are uh, the immediate need is safety of the worker, and so a lot of these technologies are seeing traction. But eventually, we also think that technologies like automation, autonomous cars, etc., are going to see a boost eventually, perhaps for different applications, but with the same underlying technologies. I can elaborate more on any of those if you're interested. Yeah, can we talk a bit more about the robotic side? What are some of the key sectors that are being developed and adopted right now? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I think early on when COVID started, uh, we saw that robotics was suddenly seeing a huge amount of traction actually in the healthcare sector. Uh, hospitals, and I think Singapore was one of those uh, countries that was like far ahead. They started using 
uh, robotics uh, for last mile delivery robots actually in their hospital. I think Alexandra, Alexandria or Alexandra Hospital was one of them. Uh, where they started using these robots for, you know, delivering food, delivering medications, monitoring patients in a remote fashion uh, uh, within that hospital setting, right? The COVID patients, because nobody wanted healthcare workers to get uh, exposed to those. Uh, eventually, we what we have seen is that subsequently we started seeing companies like Pony.ai actually repurposing their robot taxis, right? They're using these robot taxis now for last mile delivery of all kinds of packages. Because everybody is now moved to e-commerce. Everybody wants things delivered to their house. And so, and, and at the same time, you don't want a lot of exposure. So, you know, in, in, in control settings, they're actually trying to deliver packages, uh, uh, you know, using these last, last mile delivery kind of techniques. Uh, outside of that, we have started seeing more and more of, um, uh, you know, uh, other agriculture, for example. Denso is a company that recently invested in a, a greenhouse solution provider uh, called Serton just to automate that indoor farming. So we are, we are, we are gently seeing that uptick uh, when it comes to robotics, which is now spreading out from healthcare to other sectors. The big challenge here uh, with robotics is that uh, you still need people to go and actually deploy them uh, because it's very hard to deploy everything remotely. It's not like software. Uh, but even there, we are seeing some innovation. So one good example is this company called Locust Robots, uh, Locust Robotics. What they actually do is, instead of having a person go visit a warehouse or visit that setting where that robot is going to be deployed, they now allow people, they are able to like remotely evaluate the setting, remotely train the robot. So at least part of that training, uh, part of that deployment is done remotely. And then if needed, somebody can go on site and do that deployment. So again, uh, and of course, like e-commerce, you know, micro fulfillment centers, for example, that's a place we are seeing a huge, huge uptake. We just, I think a couple of days ago, wrote a profile on a company called Fabric. Uh, we're very positive about that company, but overall, we are, we are seeing a lot of traction there too. Also, what are you seeing happening around blockchain and are you, as of the pandemic? Are you seeing it's being utilized much more now? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so one of the fun, the, the fundamental um, uh, underlying um, 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 uh, platform or, or, or the foundation on which any business, any economy is built is trust, right? And so if you think about trust, it's trust in like four major pillars. Trust, uh, trust in the kind of products that you're getting, trust in information, trust in the people who are working for you, whether it's contractors or employees, and then finally, trust in the underlying currency itself. Um, the re and and now I'll I'll put this on record right now. Uh, for more than two years, I'm I am the only analyst who has not never said that hey, blockchain is a super super positive super super positive thing. I've always been on the fence. I've always said that uh, hey, blockchain is a great technology, but it's kind of struggling to find the right use cases. Uh, but now with COVID nineteen, I have like um, uh, I have uh, um, uh, tuned my rating on blockchain to be positive, and the reason is simple. There was a lot of anti-counterfeiting that was happening with masks, with with like with, with critical medical equipment, uh, and so as a consequence, blockchain is one of those technologies where you can bring trust and efficiency into your products, right? So we we talked about the four pillars. We talked about information, physical objects like products, people, and money. Uh, there is there is also now a trust issue with people. You don't know whether you are going to be working next to a person who is having COVID or not, right? And it's not only at the employee level, it's even at the national level where, you know, if you're flying to a different country, 
other than like how do you check and find out if a person has has COVID or not? And that's where being able to track the health conditions of blockchain, which is not going to happen immediately, but sometime in the future, uh, becomes very, very valuable. Currency is another issue. Uh, Bitcoin started off because people lost trust in currency to some extent uh, way back during the the, uh, financial crisis in 2009. But now, if you think about it, the situation is similar. Governments are printing loads and loads of money just to keep the economy buoyant. And as a consequence, we we do believe that there's going to be some lack of loss of trust when it comes to the fiat currencies. And as a consequence, people start investing more and more in Bitcoin type of technologies as well. Great. I think we covered a lot of exciting topics here. Is there anything else that you'd like to add as a key takeaway that I haven't asked about? Uh, I, I think other than all these technologies, there is generally a lot of low-hanging fruit out here uh, in terms of just being being able to bring different data streams together. We have spoken with companies about just using bad scan data, using uh, you know, uh, uh, you, you know, Wi-Fi information to triangulate if people are getting together socially, they are social distancing or not. So a lot of these systems don't exist today. E-commerce itself can be improved. Digital learning. I have I have kids and I, I see the kind of learning platforms they have. So there's a huge amount of op- opportunity just in terms of developing software for these kinds of situations, more robust software. Um, uh, just outside of all these other, um, you know, uh, futuristic technologies we've been talking about. So, Okay. looks like that's all the time we have for our show today. Thank you, Shuram, for coming on the show. It was great speaking to you. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Jacob. Also, thank you to all of our listeners of today's show. Be sure to check out all of our episodes on your favorite podcast listening platform. Till next time, this has been What the Death.